Enable us, Lord, to worship you deeper, to worship you truer in spirit and in truth, that we would worship and be your children with everything we are, not holding back, but pouring ourselves out as a living sacrifice because you're worthy. You're worthy, Jesus. And we thank you in your name. Welcome you to Bethel Christian Fellowship. Uh, we're a house of prayer for all nations. A safe place for strangers to become friends. And uh, a lot of us strangers uh, becoming friends and taking the journey to become family. Our lives because of your love for us, because you gave your life to us, because of your faithfulness and your goodness and your greatness and your justice, because of your love, Lord, we choose to give you our lives. And Lord, we know that all of us have done that. We say that. We want to be that. Some of us want it more than others. <laughs> and some of us want, we want it sometimes more than others. But Lord, we ask you to help us. We ask you to show us yourself, your goodness, your greatness, your faithfulness, your committed love for us. Help us to respond to that today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for, for leading us in worship. Um, so I want to start with a question for you. I want you to remember something. I want you to remember a time when you felt abandoned. I want you to feel that. Think about a time, a specific time, and think about how it felt to be abandoned. And when I ask you, does that, does that feeling ever come back to you? Um, that, it does to me. I, I'll tell you a, a small one where we're, we're six kids in our family and uh, we're always at church. So it, uh, we're going off, our family was going off with another family um, to their house after church Sunday night. And I was, I don't know how old, maybe five, six or something. And uh, everybody filed in different cars and they're all heading out there. And I saw them going out, but I wasn't in the car. So I was running out, and then, and then I ran out the other door of the church, and I tried to chase them down the road, and they were gone. And I just cried and walked down the road toward my house, and they went to the other house that was far away, and then realized, wait a second, we only got five. So they went back, and they found me walk, walking, crying down the road, um, feeling abandoned. Anybody ever had an experience like that? Um, but those are the easy ones because that only lasted for um, a few minutes, really. 
But there's the ones that last for days and weeks and years. That really... And then there's the ones that are maybe even foundational, maybe even before you can remember or put words on it, that are foundational. My, my, my earliest memory is of my mom's back at the, at the stove with her apron on cooking, but I was trying to get her attention. <laughs> um, and she, she was there. I just felt a little abandoned. I wanted a little more. She, she was busy. Dad was busy. Dad was gone. It, all of us have had those feelings, I think, of being abandoned. Um, so I don't know what came to your mind, but I want you to grab that feeling. Um, think of another time when you felt betrayed. Betrayed is a, is a different feeling. Kind of like abandoned, but different. It includes abandoned, right? But it's intentional. They didn't just forget you. They left you. Um, can you remember a time when you felt betrayed? Okay, so now if you're brave, I want you to turn to somebody near you and say whatever you can of how that felt or of the experience, okay? Um, find somebody, and you can, you can tell a, a nice surface-level one like I did when you got left, or you can tell a deeper one if you want. Um, time when you felt betrayed or abandoned. Turn to somebody near you. Move, move down the... And let's say you felt betrayed. Maybe you weren't betrayed, but you felt betrayed. So can you find somebody near you? Make sure nobody's just uh, sitting by themselves. Um, cause sometimes I think for me, it's, uh, that's the feeling that comes up even when it's not the intention. So sometimes I can feel abandoned even when I'm not abandoned. I can react even when I, when, uh, somebody doesn't mean to betray me or, or abandon me, but I can feel that. And then sometimes I overreact because I've felt that way. And sometimes you probably had the experience of somebody overreacting to you. Probably even more so in families where we expect people to uh, be loyal and never abandon us and other things. Um, so we are talking about this. We're looking at the end of Deuteronomy. We're asking the question about um, abandonment. Um, so we have been going through this is the last sermon of our series on the book of books of Moses, five books, 
And uh, it's almost falling out of my Bible here. I'm going to have to glue it back in. But the uh, books of Moses, of course, for most people, it's already out of their Bibles. Pretty much, they just never turn that far back because uh, what's the point? If they ever even go past the New Testament, you know, to go all the way back to Deuteronomy especially, maybe Genesis, but Deuteronomy, Leviticus. But I've actually enjoyed going through this because one of the things I, one of my teachers told me a long time ago was the places that we skip over probably are the places that have something new to teach us. And so I've, I've learned a lot of new stuff as we've gone through these places that are sometimes hard. And I've first heard from some of you, I read that stuff, I don't even like that. It's like, okay, so do we just pitch it out there, throw it out, or do we actually believe that all of Scripture is profitable and there's something there that needs to, uh, I need to learn from? So, um, so we're at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the last chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. We talked about how Deuteronomy... So there's five books of Moses. The last one is Deuteronomy. And if you, if you look in your pew Bible, you can find in, in front of you, there's a Bible if you didn't bring one. Or I'm going to use the New Living Translation. If you don't like the NIV, you can look it up on your phone. If you want New Living Translation to follow along exactly. But sometimes you can compare with what I'm doing. But um, I want us to look at the book of Deuteronomy. Remember that the book of Deuteronomy, we've looked at, is Moses' speech before he leaves the people, before he abandons them. And so they have a definite feeling that Moses, who has been their leader and their lawgiver and their connection to God and their everything, and he, he's been there forever. Remember that the whole generation died. So these kids, this 120-year-old leader has been, they've never known a time when there wasn't Moses up there leading everything. Um, so they are feeling abandoned. What are we going to do? You're leaving us just when we're going to enter into the promised land and confront all these giants our parents told us about? These big cities and these... How are we going to do that? And Deuteronomy, at the beginning of this chapter, we talked, Andrew talked last time about the frame. At the beginning... He frames it with loving God, and he frames it with looking back at God's faithfulness and also at their unfaithfulness. And here at the end of the book, we talk again about God's faithfulness and the people's unfaithfulness. But I want you, so let's start reading in, in Deuteronomy 31. I'm good, here's the first, the first few verses right here for you out of NLT. When Moses had finished giving these instructions... All of this that he just gave from the, about, about the laws in the middle of the, the book. Giving these instructions to all the people of Israel. This final last words from Moses, his sermon. This is his wrap-up. He said, now I'm 120 years old. Spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and 40 years leading them. And I'm no longer able to lead you. Yahweh has told me, you will not cross the Jordan River. But... Yahweh your God, the Lord your God himself, will cross over ahead of you. So here's their assurance. I cannot be with you. But Yahweh is going to be with you. He's going to go over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations living there. And you will take possession of their land. Joshua will lead you across the river just as Yahweh promised. 
Now, no matter how good your parents were, how faithful your spouse is, how we all have this limitation of life and death. So we were at Russell Stone's funeral this week. Peter Stone's dad, he was 71 years with his wife. That's faithfulness. But she left, he left, they're gone. And the parents and the grandkids, and the, they don't have them to depend on anymore. So my, my dad's gone, my mom is failing, and I don't have the same ability to depend on them despite how faithful they've been. All of us cannot depend on someone. So Moses is abandoning them. Who are they left with? So God says, I, God himself, will cross over ahead of you. And you will, he'll help you to conquer the nations that are there, and you will take possession of their land, just as Yahweh promised. Remember, let's go back, 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 back to creation, and then Genesis 12, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to bless you, make you a blessing, all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. And he promised them this land. And then he told Abram, when, I, when he was frustrated, hey, you gave me this promise, 25 years, nothing's been happening. He said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to give him this land that you're on. So this is 600 years ago that he told Abraham that. This is 40 plus years ago that he told Moses that. But, He's going to be faithful. So a few weeks ago, um, I was spending a day in prayer, praying about the vision for the church. And as elders, we were spending the day in prayer and thinking about what's the vision for Bethel Christian Fellowship for the next season. This was related to we were hiring a new youth director. Things were going to be different. Pastor Ben and Hannah are abandoning us. Um, as all the youth feel, I know. But, that God, but God's not abandoning them or us. Um, but there is a there is a sense, especially among the youth and youth parents, I know of being abandoned because they're close to Ben and Hannah, and it's tough for them too. Um, people move on. How do we how do we handle that? Anyway, I was praying about the next season. Where are we going? And trying to th- and you know what? God didn't give me um, the ten year plan, smart goals, um, objectives. He didn't even give me an acronym. Or a picture like you would have given Pastor Jim. I was like, where is Pastor Jim when you need us? He's abandoned us. We don't have a picture or a banner or an acronym or anything. Not even an alliteration left to tell us where we're going. But you know what I thought? I thought, God didn't give that to Abraham either. He told him, here's the vision. And it took 600 years. You know what? God's not in a hurry. He's got a five-year plan, but that's not really what he's all about. He's in the, like, 5,000-year plan. The five-million-year plan is actually what he's on. And he is faithful to do what he promised. And he's faithful to walk with us into it. And he's told us, you're called to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. You're called for every member to be a minister. You're called, we've, we know the things, you're going to be like a rose blooming in the desert. Those are things from Helen Jepson in the 60s. We have promises that God has given us. And he's going to be faithful to fulfill them. And I was going back to this passage because it was one that spoke to me at that time of our transitions. So um, he's going to be faithful to what he promised. Um, He goes on and says this to the people. 
The Lord will destroy the nations living in the land, just as he destroyed Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites. Remember your history, recent history. The Lord will hand over to you the people who live there, and you must deal with them as I have commanded you. So do be, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for Yahweh your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And that word abandon is what stood out to me as I was praying about God's vision for things. He went on, said that Moses called for Joshua. And, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. I was partially going over this because I remember God saying that at that time. You, Steve, will lead Bethel Christian Fellowship into what he's promised for Bethel Christian Fellowship. We're, you are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So I want you to hear God say that. You have felt abandoned, but I will never abandon you. You have been left, but I will always be with you. Ben and Hannah are depending on, go make disciples of all nations, and I will never fail you. I will be with you, even to the end of the age. We go, we are doing what we are doing because we know God will never abandon us. Now, there are times we may feel abandoned. There are times where it feels tough. And, and I've told you before, when we were in Tanzania for our first term and we were sick 40 times and I was having panic attacks and then we had a stillbirth and I felt abandoned. God, where are you? But he hadn't abandoned me. It just took me longer to see that he hadn't, and longer to see how it was fulfilled. And I still can get that feeling from then. That I still have some of the trauma and some of the bruises are there, but we've also been blessed and, and have the, uh, the triumphs that God has. And for us, for each of you, and for us as a congregation, we've had, we've had some hard times, we've had some good times, you've had tough times. You've been abandoned, somebody's died who was close to you, you feel alone, somebody left you, somebody betrayed you, he says he will be with you. God will never fail you or abandon you. Can you feel that? Can you believe that? Even if others do? I want you to grab, if that's the only thing you grab today, believe that, hold that, and walk with that. Verse 9. So Moses wrote this entire book, body of instruction, in a book and gave it to the priests who carried the ark of the Lord's covenant to the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seventh year of the year of release during the festival of shelters, you must read this book of instruction to all the people of Israel when they assemble before the Lord your God at the place he chooses. Call them all together, men, women, children, and the foreigners living in your towns. So you may hear this book of instruction and learn to fear Yahweh your God and carefully obey all the terms of these instructions. Do this so that your children who have not known these instructions will hear them and learn to fear Yahweh your God. 
Do this as long as you live in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. So this is why we call it the books of Moses. Because according to the books, Moses wrote down, especially this is talking about Deuteronomy, he wrote down this sermon. He spoke it, he wrote it down, and it was placed, as we'll find out later, next to the Ark of the Covenant. The ten words, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. These words were placed next to it as part of the covenant, the agreement, the commitment between God who had chosen them, loved them, blessed them, freed them, given them, and married them, and Israel. This is what both of you have. This is the commitment. These are the vows you guys have made. I will. I will be with you. I will never abandon you. I will be faithful to my covenant. That's what God says. But we need to hear it. Doesn't matter if it's written. He said, now, they read the whole of Deuteronomy every seven years for everybody to hear. They did not have the privilege of having it on their iPad or their iPhone or in a book. They had to wait for somebody to read it to them. So that's part of why a lot of them memorized it. A lot of, a lot of Jewish Orthodox Jews and, and rabbis memorize. And this was to hear, to remember, to do. For us, we're going to be done with the books of Moses. I hope you're not done. I hope a little refresher has gotten you to say, you know what, there's some good stuff there I need to actually read. And not only these books, but we have Scripture right here, but it's not nearly as exciting or, um, you know, right? There's a lot of other things trying to get our attention. But we need to hear it. We need to let our kids hear it. Okay. Then, verse 14. Then Yahweh said to Moses, The time has come for you to die. Call Joshua and present him yourselves at the tab tabernacle so that I may commission him there. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tabernacle. And the Lord appeared to them in a pillar of crowd that stood at the entrance to the sacred tent. So here's God showing up to commission them, to commission Joshua with Moses there. Now he said to Moses, you're about to die and join your ancestors. After you are gone, these people will begin to worship foreign gods, the gods of the land where they're going. They will abandon me. Put that on the slide so you can see. These people will begin to worship foreign gods, the gods of the lands where they're going. They will abandon me. And break my covenant that I made with them. So God promised he was not going to abandon them. He's going to be faithful to this covenant, to this marriage. And it's set up as a, actually as a king and a vassal king that the great king has made a deal with this smaller king that he is going to be faithful, going to protect, going to care for him. And all he has to do is follow him. But... They're going to break my covenant. They're going to go after other gods. Then my anger will blaze forth against them. I will abandon them, hiding my face from them, and they will be devoured. Whoa, terrible trouble will come down on them. And on that day, they will say, these disasters have come down on us because God is no longer among us. 
At that time, I will hide my face from them on account of all the evil they committed by worshiping other gods. So, so when they say this is happening because God's no longer with us, that's true, but that's only half the truth, right? He's no longer with them because they're with other gods. And the, the words here are, are words of prostitution and adultery and unfaithfulness. So write down the words of this song and teach it to the people of Israel. So Moses is gone, and who's going to be there? God's going to be there. Joshua's going to be there. And a song is going to be there to remind them. Help them learn it so it may serve as a witness for me against them. Verse 20, For I will bring them into the land I swore to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. There they will become prosperous, eat all the food they want, and become fat. That's a good thing in this context because most people didn't get to be fat. But they will begin to worship other gods. They will despise me and break my covenant. And then great disasters, and when great disasters come down on them, this song will stand as evidence against them, for it will never be forgotten by their ancestors, their descendants. I know the intentions of these people, even now before they have entered the land I swore to them. So God, and he makes it more explicit in the song, is a jealous God. Now, when we think about a jealous husband or a jealous wife, is that a good thing? We don't usually think of that as a good thing, right? Um, Because we think of people who are overly jealous, right? Overly insecure. And every little thing, they're like, what? Where were you? What's going on? How come? I don't want you to leave the house. That kind of jealous, controlling husband or controlling wife, right? But if somebody tells my wife, so I saw Steve out at this nice restaurant with this woman who was dressed uh, amazingly, and uh, then he got in the car with her, and I followed him, and they ended up at this hotel, and she says, whatever. What? If they say the same thing about Janice, and I say, okay, yeah, whatever. Is that good? I don't want to be a jealous husband, so, you know, whatever. If your spouse did that for you, would you feel loved? No. (laughs) If your spouse, if if you knew that your spouse had heard that conversation and, and said, whatever, would you feel loved? Because they're not being jealous? No. (laughs) Right? You'd want them to come after you and say, hey, what's up? Right? You want them to want you. Am I right? And you want to be wanted by them. Jealousy is expected in a marriage relationship. Now, girlfriends and boyfriends, when you don't, you know, that's where there tends to be more jealousy. When there's actually no commitment, there's actually more jealousy. Um, but husbands and wives, rightfully, should be jealous of each other. Don't you think? Yeah. I think so. Um, when So jealousy is a good thing. Now, we, we hear bad jealousy. And uh, 
you know, Hamilton actually, those of you who know that hit musical Hamilton, has a, has a King George is played as a, uh, a king who's jealous. My loyal, royal subjects. And he says he's going to prove his love by, I'm going to send a full battalion to in inspire you of my love. How does it go? I'll kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. Um, so he, it portrays him as this badly jealous husband who doesn't have a right to that. And I think a lot of us see God that way. When we read these curses that he says, they're going to be devoured by the troubles that are going to come their way. We think, God is so angry, so jealous, so why is he so much that way? Why is that? Maybe because we, our whole culture is about being independent from King George and freedom, and everybody's got their own way to do things. And uh, everybody having their own choice is the thing we celebrate. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe we don't realize how much God has given. And he goes on in this song and talks about who he is and what he's given. Um, so um, what is God's desire? So my, my best friend Paul Middleton wrote a little pamphlet, and Ken Holmgren and I helped to uh, put it together. And uh, he asked this question, is this what God desires? Is this what the law is about? God wants you to do the right things. That's what most of us think the books of Moses is about. Leviticus and Deuteronomy. God wants you to do the right things. He wants you to use your money well and have sex the right way and do, th do the things, do the right things. And Paul opens this booklet and says, is that really obviously true, right? He says, but my goal here is without being branded a heretic to convince you the above statement is false. Maybe he's overstating, but it says, what about the Ten Commandments? What about the Sermon on the Mount? Doesn't God want you to do the right things? He says, yeah, but I don't really do the right things. Is that his whole point? Or maybe God wants to bless you. He wants the best for you. That's why the picture's up there. Joel Osteen, New York Times bestselling book, Your Best Life Now. It actually only mentions Jesus three times, but uh, it's, it's mostly uh, Norman Vincent Peale for the 21st century. Think positive. Be what God wants your best life now. He wants to bless you. If, if you will so some people look at the book of Deuteronomy, and they see if, then, if I do these things, then God's going to bless me. So if I tithe, then God's going to give me a hundredfold in return. And so that's what God wants to do. He wants to bless me. And so these are just the way that he gets me to do the things that get me to be blessed. So as I was listening to Pastor Andrew, he, uh, he, was, he was skirting on the edges of these. You're going to be the head and not the tail. Nobody's going to show you that you're never going to be in debt. You're going to have all the good things. You're going to conquer all your enemies. You're going to be successful. And we're like, yeah, yeah, God wants the best for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm blessed because I'm so good. And I do the right things, and I put my tithe in, and then he blesses me, and then I get lots of stuff, and I get to have a house, and I get to have a Lexus because God's going to bless me. Is that his goal? So now, both of these are true, sort of. God does want you to do the right things. 
Why? Well, he says in Deuteronomy, he wants you to have a good life. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to choose life. So he does want you to be blessed. He does want you to do the right things. But Paul says maybe it would be better if we put it in the context of marriage. This is Paul and his wife, Nyla, at the time. Um, he says, actually, I want my wife to do the right things. Yeah, I do, but that's not really it. Um, he says, well, I want my wife to grow and reach her full potential, becoming all she was created to be. Yes, that's true. I do want that. But if for her to do that, she has to travel to Europe for eight months out of the year, I don't want that, actually. So he's struggling with this saying, what do I really want as a husband or as a wife? What do you really want? And uh, he finally says, I want my wife. I, it's kind of a selfish thing, I want my wife. That's what I want. Oh, I want my wife to do the right things. Well, I want her to be blessed, yeah. But really, I want my wife. And I also want my wife to want me. And God wants you. That is what it's all about. He wants you. He wanted these people. That's why he went after them, got them out of slavery, did all these miracles, brought them to Mount Sinai, showed up and said, I want you. In the garden, I made you. I created you. I birthed you. And I want you. Let's get married. And at the, garden, at the Mount Sinai, they agreed. They got married. And they made a covenant commitment to him as the, the king. Here's where it breaks down, because he's way better. <laughs> and he doesn't have ulterior motives. But God wants you. He has a love for you that's everything that love is and more. A covenant commitment to you that he's inviting you into. He's inviting you into. Do you want his love? Or is there something else you want more? And that's where God starts talking about these other gods. These other gods who promised prosperity. We're going to talk about just money, just sex, just power. These other gods who promised power and sex and money. I mean, the way the Baal and Ashtoreth worked was you went to this shrine and you, uh, you were after fertility. You wanted to have lots of kids. You wanted to have lots of cows. And you slept with a, with a shrine prostitute. And so you got your sex and your money and your power all at the same time from the various gods that you could chase after. And he's saying, you all are going to leave me for those gods. Those gods that give you all that stuff. Even though he's faithful. And so then, what's God supposed to do? When his wife is running around with every guy that walks by. Hosea asked that question. God God's a demanding. He tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute and then 
she has these kids, and he calls this one, not my kid, not my people. She's, and, and yet he continues to love her and go after her. God is in that experience of being betrayed. So, what he says then is, I want you to write a song. Write a national anthem for Israel so that they are ready to hear. And you can actually hear echoes of this national anthem as you read the rest of Scripture. For example, this analogy of God being a jilted husband who, whose uh, wife or even wives in one context, Judah and Israel, are off with other men, other gods, sleeping with everybody. That goes throughout Scripture. The reminder that, okay, so let's read chapter 32. So Moses recited this entire song publicly to the assembly of Israel. This is their national anthem, something they're supposed to, the jingle that's supposed to be ringing in their heads to remind them. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words that I say. Let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass. Like gentle showers on young plants, I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. How glorious is our God. You caught up to, chapter, to verse 4 of chapter 32. So what does he say about who God is? He says he's the rock. There's a picture of a rock for you. This is dancing rocks in Mwanza, Tanzania, where we used to live. This is a huge rock. Call it dancing rocks because the top of that is bigger than all of this sanctuary, probably all the building. You can dance up there. You have a hard time climbing up on any of those boulders that you see there. Um, it's huge. God's that kind of rock, the kind of place that you could climb up to and have a good defense, uh, a castle, a fortress. He is solid. He is reliable. He is not moving. He is bedrock. That's the kind of rock that God is. Pastor Jim had a good, good picture for me when we were praying this week in our pastor's prayer time. He talked about when he was at Jack Hayford's place and uh, in his office and praying. But he's desperate, hanging on, desperately falling off this cliff and like one finger left. And then he realized the picture that actually there was a rock like that far under his feet. And I think a lot of us are desperately trying to hang on one finger, I'm overwhelmed, and forgetting that there's a rock if we would just put our feet on it. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in his love. We know that there's a rock. So throughout this song, he calls God the rock. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. Tell me, tell me some things back. What are some things about God in that, those few verses? Just. Faithful. Upright, perfect, 
God is all those things. I mean, this isn't just any husband or any spouse, because none of us are that good. <laughs> but there, this is, wow, wouldn't it be great to be married to that or have that as a parent? We are talking about living just and right. We're talking about God's justice. We talked about the star of justice, the different kinds of justice that God has. We talked about his fairness, which is mentioned here, the standard, the, the straightness of his. That word Justin upright talks about how he is acting within his covenant, how he is straight. He's got like a laser beam, straight, dependable. Let's look at verse 5. But they have acted corruptly toward him. When they act so perversely, are they really his children? They are a deceitful and twisted generation. So what does it describe about the people, the Israelites? What are they going to be? Corrupt. Perverse, crooked, twisted, deceitful. So there's this contrast between an absolute standard laser ruler and a twisted piece of junk metal, right? A, um, so is this the way you repay Yahweh, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father who created you? Has he not made you and established you? Remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you when the Most High assigned lands to the nations. When he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. For the people of Israel belong to Yahweh. Jacob is his special possession. He's saying when God divided up the nations, he decided which nations were going to be in which place, and he put angels in charge of each one. But Jacob was his own possession. He, he is special. And Paul picks this up and shows how he, he makes them jealous so that he can reach the nations because he, he wants to bless all nations. He found them in a desert wasteland, in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them, watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes, like an easel that, eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. So he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinions. Yahweh alone guided them. They followed no foreign gods. He let them ride over the highlands and feast on the crops of the field. He nourished them with honey from the rock and olive oil from the stony ground. He fed them yogurt from the herd and milk from the flock together with the fat of rams. You drank the finest wine made from the choice of grapes. So he talks about how he rescued them, took them, took care of them in the desert, brought these, going to bring them into the, this promised land and feed them. Have we been fed? Anybody hungry here? Let us know if you are. We've been blessed. But... Verse 15, Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump, and stuffed. Then they abandoned the God who made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. They stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God, to gods they had not known before to new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. You neglected the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who give, had given you birth. So they're saying God is both your mother and your father, gave you birth and fathered you. 
Yahweh saw this and drew back, provoked to anger by his own sons and daughters. He said, I will abandon them. Then see what becomes of them. For they are a twisted generation, children without integrity. They have roused my jealousy by worshiping things that are not God. They have provoked my anger with their useless idols. Now I'll arouse their jealousy through people who are not even a people. I'll provoke their anger through the foolish Gentiles. So he talks about how Paul picks this up and talks about how God's reached the Gentiles to try to bring his people Israel back. Um, and he, then he talks about his... Uh, for my anger blazes forth like fire and burns to the depths of the graves. It devours the earth and all its crops and ignites the foundation of the mountains. I will heap disasters upon them and shoot them down with my arrows. I will weaken them with famine, burning fever, and deadly disease. How come we don't quote those scriptures? Nobody has that pasted on their mirror. But you know what? When he puts out this Deuteronomy thing, he gives like longer sections about curses than about blessings. We can't just say God wants the best for me. His whole point is to make me happy. He's going to bless me by just putting in my coins. He'll give, me, he'll give me tens and hundreds of dollars. That's not how it works. God doesn't want to bless you alone. He wants, okay, so you get the picture? Here is this wonderful, loving parent, mother, father, spouse, who wants so much for you, who has everything, who desires you. So enjoy it. Reap it. Of course he wants to bless you. Of course he But he doesn't want you going, oh, I think I'll marry him because he's pretty rich. But I'll just sleep around with whoever I want. You get what you get the picture? He wants you. He desires you. And yes, he wants to bless you, wants you to do the right thing because he wants to be blessed, all that. But he really is after you. So he will not abandon you unless you abandon him. But you can't expect to just keep saying, oh yeah, God, whatever, you know, someday, of course, sure, I'm glad God's there, but I'm going to go after success, money, my things. Right now, this is my time for this. It feels to me like a lot of us have that feeling. Like, I can, I'm just going to get everything I want from any place I can get it and, and spend my time however I want and fill it with whatever kind of songs I want to do. But, you know, God's always there. Right? So if I have trouble, and I mean my, you know, I bought my ticket to heaven already, so I'm pretty good with that. But there's a lot of other things I want out of life. And we don't choose life. We choose death. And we sleep around with other good-looking folks and other possibilities. And we abandon the one who wants us, who promised to never abandon us. So it ends with this. Um, but the rock of our enemies is not like our rock, as even they recognize. So, but I fear the taunt. So finally, he's going to annihilate them. I would have annihilated them, but I fear the taunt of Israel's enemy who might misunderstand and say, our own power has triumphed. Yahweh has nothing to do with this. He said, I would have 
unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up. But the rock of our enemies is not like our rock. So he says, y'all are after pebbles. Y'all are chasing pebbles when you got a rock, a bedrock that you should be depending on that's reliable. Um, Verse 36, Indeed, the Lord will give justice to his people. He will change his mind about his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free, then he will ask, Where are their gods? The rocks, the pebbles they fled to for refuge. Where now are those gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their offerings? Let those gods arise and help you. Let them provide you with shelter. Look now, I myself am he. There is no other God but me. I am the one who kills and gives life. I am the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. Now I raise my hand to heaven and declare as surely as I live when I sharpen my flashing sword and begin to carry out justice. Here is the retributive justice. I will take revenge on my enemies and repay those who reject me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh, the blood of the slaughtered and the captives and the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice with him, you heavens, and let all of God's angels worship him. Rejoice with his people, you nations, and let the angels be strengthened in him. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take revenge against his enemies. He will repay those who hate him and cleanse the land for his people. So what I want you to see here is he gives them up to the enemies. But then when they turn to him, he comes after all that and rescues them and brings justice. Both the hand of justice against those who abandoned him and the hand against the enemies who go out of their way. So um, that's the end of it here. Verse 45, when Moses had finished reciting all these words to the people of Israel, he added, take to heart all the words of warning I've given you today. Pass them on as a command to your children so they will obey every word of these instructions. These instructions are not empty words. They are your life. By obeying them, you will enjoy a long life in the land you will occupy when you cross the Jordan River. Then it ends with this blessing. He blesses each of them. But let me just read the beginning and the end of this blessing from Moses. The Lord came from Mount Sinai. This is chapter 33. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, gave the people of Israel before his death. The Lord came from Mount Sinai and dawned upon us from Mount Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. Indeed, he loves his people. All his holy ones are in his hands. They follow in his steps and accept his teaching. Moses gave us the Lord's instructions, the special possession of the people of Israel. This is a special possession, folks, that we know God's instructions, that we have a covenant with him. The Lord became king in Israel when the leaders of the people assembled, when the tribes of Israel gathered. And then he goes and gives blessings to each of the tribes. And he ends again with this, chapter 20, verse 26 of chapter 33. Uh, chapter 33. There is no one like the God of Israel. He rides across the heavens to help you, across the skies in majestic splendor. The eternal God is our refuge 
and his everlasting arms are under you. He drives out the enemy before you, who cries out, destroy them. So Israel will live in safety, prosperous Jacob in security, in a land of grain and new wine, while the heavens drop down dew. How blessed you are, O Israel. Who else is like you, a people saved by Yahweh? He is your protecting shield and your triumphant sword. Your enemies will cringe before you, and you will stomp on their backs. So Moses is giving them, let's just do verse 30, chapter 34. So Moses, the Lord said to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. So this, the final chapter shows Moses walking up on the mountain, seeing the land, but God says you can't go in because you rebelled against me. But he saw it and said, this is the promise. This is what I am going to fulfill. So God has promises. He wants to fulfill in your life. Are you with me? God has things he desires for your life. He wants to bless them, make them prosperous, protect them, all those things. Just like a good husband or a good wife wants all the best and gives themselves to give all the best for their husband or wife, just as a parent gives all the best to their kids. But above all, he wants you. Does that feel scary or good? He doesn't just want you to do what's right. He doesn't just want to bless you. He wants you. He wants a love relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to go to church or to, to uh, memorize scripture or to obey the law or to uh, have your devotions. That's not what he's after. He's after you. Sure, he wants a date once in a while. That's not the point. He wants you. And he will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you, no matter who else does. Unless you forsake and abandon and leave him. What's he supposed to do then? Follow me? What's God supposed to do when we go chasing after everything else and ignore him? So what I want you to see is that God is faithful. Now, he is also faithful to forgive. So some of you are saying, you know what? I, I want to follow him, but I'm not always that consistent. You know what? That's okay. You know? None of us are all that consistent. <laughs> but God is faithful. And it's because of his faithful that, faithfulness that he can even make you faithful. You following me? But you have to want him, and you have to want his desire for you. You have to recognize that he is after you, not just after your good, not just after you doing the right thing. He wants your heart, your life your affections, your faithfulness, 
your justice, your commitment to him. So, for me, this is what I want you to remember, okay? God wants you. God will not abandon you. But he will not force you to live in relationship with him. He doesn't lock the door. Once you make a commitment, you enter into a marriage covenant with him, you say, I am yours, he welcomes you into the house. And he's thrilled. He says, you're mine. I'm yours. I'll never forsake you. And he doesn't lock the door to lock you in. He wants you to stay. He wants you to be there. But if you're gone every night, if you never come home, sleeping with everybody else and getting everything you want from somebody, you might come home and find the door locked. But if you knock, if you really want to come in, <laughs> he'll open it. He's gracious, forgiving. He knows how faithless we are. But here's the thing. I, <laughs> I don't know how to balance this message. Because he always wants you. He always is after you. Somebody mentioned the... the um, Having somebody sit across from him and saying, you know what? Um, I love my wife, but there's this pretty young woman who I, who I really want. And I'm, I'm, God will forgive me, right? If I sleep with her and have an affair with her, God will forgive me, right? I think it was Yancey's. And he was like, how do I answer that? Yeah. God will forgive you if you want to be forgiven. And he said up till now, he hasn't really decided he wants to be forgiven. Up to now, he's still chasing other things. He's still off with this other woman. Most of us want to have Yahweh, absolutely. And we want our other rocks, too. We want to be able to play around a little bit, not be totally devoted. Why? He's perfect, just, faithful. He wants you. He created you. He delivered you. He's got everything you could want. You don't need to find somebody else to give you those things. Could I have the worship team come up? And I want elders and their spouses, and any prayer team members to come up as well. Some of you are in different places as we say this. As I, as I say this, some of you, and I, that's why it makes it hard to say, <laughs> because some of you need to hear, God will not abandon you. You may feel abandoned, but God is faithful. He is with you. You need to hear that. Because you feel like you have rejected God, 
that God can't forgive you, God's ready to forgive you. Others of you are kind of, you have a foot in each world. In, you've heard this proverb that uh, the hyena wanted the chicken, and he went after that, and then he saw the goat, and he went after that, and, then the, and the proverb is, so the, the hyena split in half because he wanted the goat and he wanted the chicken and he went after both of them until he split in half. Some of you are there. You want God. But also this. You want God, but also your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You want God, but also this thing that isn't really um, totally... You know, I don't know if God would be so happy about that, but you want everything. The other Swahili proverb is the one who wants everything gets nothing. If you go after all of it, you're going to have none of it. But God promised if you follow him, if you chase him, if you let him love you, you'll have all of it, all of the blessing. And yes, he'll help you to do the right thing. Because he loves you. So I just want you to feel God's love. His love that is jealous. After you. He wants you. He wants to bless you. Let's pray. And then I'm going to invite you to come up and, and pray if you want to. Respond in the worship if you want to. I don't know exactly how you need to respond to this because I don't know where you're at exactly. Lord, we come to you. We are so grateful. God, I'm so grateful that you love me, that you care for me, that you want me just as I am with all my flaws. You want me that you gave yourself for me, that you came to be with me, to be with us, that you said you would not abandon me. And Lord, I need everlasting arms that are going to be under me forever. I need a rock that's never going to erode. I need something as big as life and stronger than death. I need a God who is eternal. I need a lover who will always love me. Forever. I need a parent who will always care for me. In the best way. With everything. God, I thank you that you are all of that. You are perfect, just, fair, straight, faithful. Loving. Committed. God, we confess that our hearts are wandering. Sometimes we want other things. Sometimes we're afraid and think that something else will protect us. Sometimes we think we can get some advantage some other way. Forgive us for our faithlessness, our crookedness. We want to come to you again, not because we're going to do it better, not because we're going to 
never sin again. We want to come to you because you want us. Because we want you. And we believe you can make us who you want us to be. Thank you for your love. Thank you. Thank you for saving us, for redeeming us, for buying us, for making us, for marrying us. Lord, we are so grateful. So now we ask you to help us to respond in love as well. Thank you that you will not abandon us. And Lord, help us to not abandon you. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus, who gave himself for us, who desires us. Amen. I want you to take just a minute of quiet. And I want you to Ask God to speak to you what he wants to speak to you at this moment. God, speak to us, each of us, what you want for our hearts at this moment. whisper as we lean into this week. Gives us, give us times of quiet or noise when we can hear your word, your faithfulness, your love. Amen. Be blessed in the name of the Lord with his Presence, go and do what he has called you to do. Live in his love this week. Amen. We still have time. We're going to sing another song. You're welcome to go. That was the benediction. But uh, we're going to sing another song about what happens when you know that God's with you. Can we sing Be Both?